All across the world, a great awakening is happening. Right here, right now. The Earth is a plane, not a planet. Come on, Earthlings. It's time to drop the T. Our realm of existence, it's flat, it's fixed, and it has a firmament. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The Earth is a closed system. We cannot leave the Earth. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Fasten your seatbelts. The number one weekly Flat Earth podcast is about to engage your senses. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome, citizens of Plain Earth, to Dome Life. <laughs> yeah, this is going out to all the globe heads out there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. Where my FE Warriors at? Well, I think we have officially been disqualified as the number one weekly Flat Earth podcast. Hey there, Mitch. Uh, unfortunately, so. It's been a while, hasn't it, Paul? How are you, mate? <laughs> I am doing great, man. Uh, yeah, it's been, dare I say, uh, a few months since we last uh, published an episode. And, uh, you know, frankly, we've probably got more excuses than the uh, CDC uh, has contradictions. Am I right? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. They've, they've got a few contradictions. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some good excuses, though, don't we? We do. We do. Uh, well, some would probably consider them good. Maybe some wouldn't. But uh, that being said, welcome back, finally, to Dome Life with Paul and Mitch, exposing the globe lie. I am the Paul on the plane, and that chap uh, to my uh, northwest, actually, uh, the one and only Mitchell from Australia. Brother, it is so good to be back with you. How are you in the family, which I might add has grown by one since we last recorded? Yep, it's been so long that we've had to make another human. And, <laughs> and yeah, so we've, we, we have recently had a, another free birth, which is a home birth without free from medical interventions and everyone's happy and healthy. And we've now got five. So we're growing our flat earth army very quick. What have you been up to? Well, I certainly don't have a basketball team for, uh, for <laughs> children like you do. So congratulations, uh, big time congratulations. Um, you know, for the the new addition to the family. It's just so exciting 
to hear the news. I, before I get into what's been going on with me, my question for you is how many more, you know, little Mitchells are, are in the works here? I mean, are you going for two basketball teams, two squads? Well, what What is the number for critical mass? Like, can, can I'm hoping to just overwhelm the population with little flat earthers. So it's indefinite at the moment. Still young, still happy and healthy. <laughs> still able to breed, obviously. Still, yeah, not, not much to do in a country town. Yeah, no, well, the, so, you know, the, the country is locked down. Uh, you know, it's getting, I don't say it's getting bad. It's It's been a rough year. So I guess there's not a lot to do, um, you know, when you're at home with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we haven't noticed that we're going on living like we've always had. Good for but you. The, the reason. The restrictions have been eased a lot in Australia. It's it's almost as if that C word never never existed here in Australia. I think it was almost like we had to get through our winter to keep it going for your winter now. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing a re-emergence of scare tactics and you know, the headlines are all about you know, that C word. For sure. Uh, now that we are entering, you know, in the northern hemisphere, the quote unquote flu season, which interestingly enough, the CDC came out about, oh, it's probably maybe a month ago now, three weeks, four weeks ago, and, and essentially said, look, we're, we're not even tracking the flu this flu season. So, you know, and, and it would, and it doesn't surprise me because, I mean, you know, 70 years of the flu shot to reach 40% effectiveness. And uh, allegedly, this new inoculation is uh, 90 or 95 percent uh, effective, and it's been in production for less than a year. So, uh, you know, the leaps and bounds of "quote unquote" science. I guess we don't worry about the flu anymore. This future jab um, is going to solve all of our problems. So, there you yeah. go. Yeah, sign me up. Don't worry about the the horrible track record that they've had. <laughs> previously no no safety testing on any vaccine ever ridiculous but yeah people will be lining up to get you know to get this shot and thinking that uh, it's going to just return everything to normal uh, but that's a whole nother show which we're going to talk about what that means for the podcast here uh, today. So let me uh, change gears just real quick and say thank you for joining us, you the listener, wherever you may be across our extended plane of existence. We sincerely, if I can speak, if I can get the words out, sincerely appreciate you hitting play on this, the 83rd episode, 83rd ever uh, episode of Dome Life uh, Mitch, I think, uh, first of all, uh, we need to let the folks know that we're going to call this our season two finale, aren't we? Yep, this will be the last one for the year. It's great to get one out before the end of the year. Wasn't sure if it was going to happen, but if only for a moment, we are back. And please enjoy this last episode. Don't know <laughs> if, it's, if it will be the last ever or the last of the season. Yeah, well, let's... Let's get the uh, unpleasantries out of the way. You know, this is really a bittersweet episode of Dome Life because uh, I've decided to hit um, the pause button, if you will, uh, on this podcast. I'm not going to say, you know, never again or hit stop and, you know, whatever. But, you know, at least for the time being anyways, I've decided to hit the pause button. I do reserve the right to continue uh, later on 
if you know that's what our creator has for me but for now i've decided to focus my efforts in kind of a new direction uh, which you know may come up a little bit today but bottom line i guess mitch we're going to actually call this the for now the, the series finale perhaps we have like a comeback show down the road though or, or something like that yeah yeah we'll, we'll call it that for the moment and it's going to be a jam-packed full of everything you need to know until we come back that's right <laughs> good point so you know what's going to go on in this episode what's what's happening today well obviously got a few news and notes um that i uh, want to make sure you're aware of if you aren't already and then uh we're gonna take a break and uh, we'll play for you uh mitchell your conversation with anthony riley uh, aka sleeping warrior on youtube which it was recorded a few weeks or month or so back uh, and we never published it but uh, it's an absolutely globe demolishing conversation so you don't want to miss it uh, mitch maybe you could just kind of tease it just for a bit for the listeners on why they want to uh stay tuned and, and listen to that because it's amazing yeah, we, we hit the globe pretty hard. We don't hold back. It's all about paradoxes of the globe. And if people don't know what a paradox is, you will know what a paradox is and what it means for the globe because every single evidence that they have, everything that anyone who believes in the globe thinks they know about the globe is a paradox because you just cannot have any evidence in the first place and then call it evidence. And that's what your belief is based on. So... Stay tuned for that interview. It is a cracker. Anthony Riley was on fire. He was. He definitely was. Um, definitely, you know, get your notepad out and and, and get ready because you know if you really you know spend the time to listen to that and and the intricacies of what you guys cover and and the logic behind it, uh, you are going to do dominate any conversation when it comes to the the shape of the earth and and really just exposing what somebody quote unquote believes because as we know belief is the enemy of knowing and um, if you can break down like you guys do for you know friends and family when you know the, this conversation comes up and 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 highlight some of these uh, you know fallacies paradoxes what have you um, you are going to you're going to convince people you're going to turn some heads you're going to you're going to make your pause to really question why they believe what they believe so so, so Mitch and Sleeping Warriors, uh, paradoxical conversation uh, that will uh, be in our second segment today. That will carry us into our third segment where I'll get a little treat planned for everyone, a little throwback in time when it comes to you and I, Mitch, a little trip down memory lane. And then I've prepared a few uh, closing remarks, uh, my parting shot, I guess, if you will. And from there, Mitch and I are going to say our thank yous and, and goodbyes. So... Man, I'm already kind of feeling a little misty-eyed thinking about that. Dang, bro. All right, let's clean this up. Uh, let's get to the news and notes. Um, Mitch, I know our uh, good friend of the show, uh, Taboo Conspiracy, um, is this his second, third, or fourth time that uh, he's had his YouTube channel um, totally taken down because of all the truths that he is uh, you know, spouting day in and day out? Yeah, it's it's not recent news, but we need. I, I feel that I need to highlight this issue because he has been demolishing the globe that much that YouTube does not want him to have a YouTube channel. I think this is the second time he's been taken down for whatever reason. 
but everyone needs to. I feel it's like the third time now, or this is the third channel he's said to start. So maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. So the second time, but I swear yeah. it's happened. It's happened many times. It seems like too, too many times, especially for one person. He gets hounded from every angle, not only from the trolls but from YouTube itself. And everyone needs to resubscribe to uh, Taboo Conspiracy Three. That's in Roman numerals. Taboo Conspiracy I I I. Everyone needs to resubscribe. Easy for you to say. We'll definitely. It's been too long. Yeah, yeah. We will definitely include the link to his new channel in this week's show notes uh, on SoundCloud. So if you're not able to find it, which I wouldn't be surprised that his new channel would be hard to find, uh, we'll definitely get you pointed in the right direction. And a big shout out to Ben. I uh, had a, just an absolute pleasure to meet him and his son at the Dallas conference in 2019, over a year ago now. Um, just just a great guy, salt of the earth, just um just a wonderful human being, just a great asset to the community. And uh, we obviously want to support him and his work. He's done so many great videos in the past. Uh, just like you said, demolishing, you know, the uh, theory of a, of a globular earth. So um, Ben, if you, if you hear this, you know, someday or, you know, down the road, we love you and uh, keep up the great work. And uh, we just appreciate you a lot, brother. Yep. He's resilient. Sorry. I thought we we're going to the next. <laughs> I want to I give you a ben. chance ben, to, you know, ben. throw some throw some nice words in there for Ben, but uh, if you don't want to, that's fine. No, I think you said it all. Ben is the best. He is so. <laughs> Everyone, subscribe to to, to Taboo Conspiracy. Yeah. I, I, I. Easy for he you to say. Us. Easy for you to say. I've been What's talking which... to children for for two months. <laughs> I know you got five little rugrats running around, so. You, gotta, you, know, you don't you don't use the word taboo often when you're talking to your children. Maybe not yet. Uh, no, it hasn't come up. No. <laughs> Good. Probably shouldn't. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's switch gears to the other thing I know we wanted to highlight was, uh, and you you sent this to me, and I did I didn't know about this. So I'm looking for you to catch me up, Mister Sensible. And uh, doing some work with uh, helium and balloons, and uh, thinks he's. Thinks he's demolished flat Earth. What what can you tell us, Mitch? Yeah, there's been a claim. There's been a new claim of curvature. And <laughs> oh, gosh, they're still on that, huh? Gosh, that's so yeah. 2016. <laughs> oh man, since the start of this year, 2020, there there can be no claim of curvature since the black swan has been around. And even Mr. Sensible himself, he has admitted when I put it to him, I put the logical. The logical consistency, the motor's tolerance to him, and he has come up with the answer of, well, at best, all we've at done is debunk the radius. <laughs> at best, you've debunked best. the radius, which destroys that, the heliocentric model, at best. <laughs> that's all we've done. And I think since then, he's tried his hardest to refine that radius, refine that curve. But, uh, no, but before we get into what he's seen, kudos to him. He has had a very successful uh, high altitude, very high altitude balloon launch. I think he got up to 139,000 feet. So mm. applause for that. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, that is. I wonder what the record is for an amateur balloon altitude. I mean, yeah. that's got to be I'm, I'm, pushing it, if not. That's up there, literally. Yeah. 
for sure. So good, good on him for that. But, but that's where the kudos stops because he has to go and ruin it by saying that he has pictures and videos of a edge, a, a physical, spherical edge, something that he himself, when put to him with the black swan, has said that we cannot see the spherical edge. It, it's not there. It's not something that we can see. So I'm not sure. I've, I've been messaging him. First of all, Mr. Sensible, how dare you? How <laughs> dare you dare to contradict the world's leading astrophysicist? Neil deGrasse Tyson, in his own words, said, you can't see any curvature of the Earth until you are at least, what, 200, 250 miles above the surface of the Earth. He said it you know, at a hundred, whatever thousand feet, that stuff is flat. That's what he that said. So flat. I mean, how dare you, Mr. Sensible? Do you, I mean, do you realize that you, how dishonorable, how irreverent you're being towards the, I would dare I say that the most well known world renowned astrophysicist and you are, you, you, who do you think you are contradicting him? I mean, seriously. Like I've been trying since this footage has come out, I've been trying to. I've been messaging him. He's responded. He's saying, "Yeah, come on my stream," but he's never given me a date. I think he is a bit scared of what I have to say because he's got he's got other people on there talking about it, and they've. I don't want to put them down too much, but they've done a horrible job of of disproving. They're going too much into the image. The image doesn't need to be gotten into because by his own standards, he cannot see the geometric horizon. That's what he's going off. He's going off a horizon. And, yeah, it, it might look a little bit bent, but... Which is the, the, just the, the limit of your vision, which is just where the sky and ground meet from the limit of your vision. That's all the horizon is. All is. It's not a That's physical edge. Horizon. It's nothing. It's, you know, it's, if anything, it would be called apparent, and it would just be based on the, the how good your camera is. That's all it is. That's all it is. It is the limit of your vision or anything that you are looking through. That is the limit. I've proven this with my coin on the table observation. Mm. You've got a flat table. You've got Epic. the camera just above the level of the table. The coin disappears bottom up and then I zoom in and it's fully resolvable again. That is all to do with angular resolution. It is nothing to do with any curvature. And by his own standard, when he saw the black swan, he said, that's not the geometric horizon. We cannot see the geometric horizon. There is no physical, spherical edge, especially from the ground, because we have something that they call refraction. And so refraction has nothing to do with the horizon at all. But if they want to use that standard, even from a high-altitude balloon, there is still atmosphere everywhere. There is still what they would call refraction, and that's what I want to put to him. Is that the geometric horizon? Is that the sphere edge that you claim to see? Because it is no different to what you say the black swan is at ground level. There you go. At best, Mitchell, you will put a seed of doubt that the image is very simply just what the limit of the camera's um, resolution abilities resolution. are. That's yeah. all it is. You don't even have to go into the image. The image is, yeah, it's, it's, it's from 
at best. It's from 140,000 feet up. That's fantastic. That's awesome. That's a great vantage point, but you are not seeing any edge at all. And I'd just like to add, I wonder if his balloon accounted for Coriolis, do you think? Ooh. Did end up in a different country? No? Well, considering the flight time, um, I yeah, I mean, considering the flight time that he had reaching that altitude and then retrieving the camera, maybe it was 24 hours. Maybe 360 degrees of, uh, of spin <laughs> yeah. allowed it to just land, you know, within, I'm assuming, a couple of miles or so of, of where he launched. You know, um, I'm going to guess less than maybe 50 miles, depending on winds and whatever. But at the end of the day, it must have been 24 hours because if it was um, the Earth is spinning at, uh, you know, 1,000 miles per hour and at his altitude, or yeah, or his latitude, excuse me, it was something less, let's say three, four, five hundred miles an hour. You know, in an hour of time or whatever the, the length of the, uh, you know, up from the launch to the to the retrieval was, um, that'd be be a long ways away. No, uh, the Earth rotates under things like Neil deGrasse Tyson says, and uh, the Earth rotated underneath the football and made it hit the goalpost and and either go in or not go in. That is wait, their wait. Standard. So there's <laughs> so there's two areas that Mr. Sensible is essentially calling out the most well-known, world-renowned astrophysicist as a liar. Wow, who does and, he think he is? And I'd, I'd just like to quote somebody. <laughs> one, somebody else, one of his mates, Simon Dan, that he's been tweeting to uh, Nathan Oakley. Because Nathan Oakley has been hitting the Coriolis effect very hard. Simon Dan tweeted a GIF, if you'd like, a little video of a man on a trampoline being pulled by a tractor. And it doesn't seem like... When he bounces, there's there's no drift. He doesn't go backwards, he doesn't go forward. And Simon Dan has tweeted, you and your reference frames <laughs> have been demolished. Something to that effect. <laughs> no, Dan, we don't have any reference frames. You have the reference frames. You, We're stationary. <laughs> I know. It's like you got to just hope one day they look in the mirror and actually listen to their own words and examine their own conclusions to see how completely idiotic and backwards hypocritical and um the opposite of of reality so well uh well said mitch um so yeah uh, obviously a lot more on that to come you know stay tuned to uh, uh mitchell's channel uh, nathan oakley's channel and uh, always a good laugh seeing what mr sensible and and his co his uh, cohorts uh, you know simon dan whatever come up with um they certainly make it entertaining for sure i mean one day they're going to know that they were wrong and um, they're going to figure it out or find out or uh, maybe they already do but you know they just got to keep the gag going but the point is one day man they're going to look back and go wow what an idiot i was all right well uh anything else to, to highlight before we head to our first break um i would like to highlight there is a flat earth versus flat earth debate going on it might be right now but it's going to be this week on the quantum eraser channel it is brian um brian, i think brian's logic versus which gets it and they're talking about what is formally known as gravity so i think that brian oh, is on the side side of um relative density disequilibrium and which gets it is on the side of 
a, a electric a dielectric acceleration i think it is so yeah. that would be I, I don't know if i've heard a flat earth versus flat earth uh debate if you call it cool. before but it it's one not to miss that's how we get to that's how we get better as a community you know there's different um you know, um, viewpoints on how things work and, uh, we're not afraid to, to, to have those conversations for sure. So, uh, yeah, check that out, Brian and, uh, Austin, um, you know, making their arguments, uh, clear and concise as possible and be, be great to, uh, catch up on that. If we can get a link, we'll definitely include it in this week's show notes. Uh, if not, I'm sure you can find it on Austin's, uh, or Brian's channels. All right. Um, uh, go ahead, Mitch. You got one more thing. Oh, no, I was just going to say on the Quantum Eraser channel. Quantum YouTube Eraser. Channel. Thank you. QE. Yep. yep. Got it. All right. Well, what we'll do is we'll include that link then in the uh, in the show notes so people can go check that out. Watch for it there. If, it, uh, if it's already happened, then it will definitely be there. So headed to our first break. Do not, and I mean it, do not go anywhere. Mitchell and Sleeping Warrior are up next. Get ready to take some notes because it is a power pack conversation. And then uh, much, much, much more coming up after the break here on the series finale of Dome Life. More Globe Lie Talk right after this on Dome Life. Hi, this is Mark Sargent, the world's greatest secret agent, shill, sellout. And you're listening to Dome Life with Paul and Mitch. Are these flat earthers? Wait, I'm a flat earther? Dome Life. Listen to it. Dome Life, the show where your voice is heard. Keep it up, guys. Thanks for all you do. Again, I truly enjoy your videos and your your podcasts. I think you guys are doing an awesome job. Anyways, that's my take for the week. I just wanted to share that. Love your stuff. Talk to you guys later. Got a question, comment, or just want to say hi? Leave us a speak pipe at domelifepodcast.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Alex here from the Conspiracy Music Guru YouTube channel, a.k.a. Flat Earth Man. I've taken a new direction musically. I sent Bob from Globebusters one of my tracks, and this is what he had to say about it. As soon as it started playing, I just got this incredibly warm feeling. It absolutely just touched me in a way that I can't even describe. Uh, it almost brought a little bit of a tear to my eye, and when I played it for Cammy, it did. It made her just out-and-out out cry. This shows the side of Alex, which I had no idea. I knew he was a fabulous artist, but wow. And you can hear why this album is resonating with so many at conspiracymusicguru.com. You can preview all the tracks there and they're all recorded in 432 hertz. And also using Solfeggio healing frequencies. I hope you love it as much as Bob did. What's going on, everyone? It's Jaren from Jarenism here with a few reminders. First, you are listening to Dome Life with Paul and Mitch. And second, I'm reminding you that you are currently not spinning. Spinning, 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 spinning. spinning. You're welcome. Folks, Alex Jones here with a quick message regarding fake news and the media that's out there right now. We've been saying for years that you cannot trust a single mainstream news outlet. None of them. They're all bought and paid for. The global elites have finally gotten what they want. Got their hooks dug into each and every one of those forms of media. That's why I don't even listen. I don't read it. Of course, some of it gets passed across my desk, but I don't read it. I don't listen. You know what I listen to? The only thing that the global elites haven't gotten their hooks in, and that's Dome Life and the Flat Earth Podcast. Both of them incredible podcasts you can get on Spotify. Spotify, iTunes, all, all your different various uh, forms. Uh, both of them, real news, truth, so that you 
can be armed so we can stick it to the elites. And if you want to stick it to the global elites, you got to stick it to the globe first. I got to take a break before I say something I regret. Don't forget, you can listen to Dome Life on your smart speaker. Just say, hey, Google, play Dome Life podcast. Welcome back to Dome Life with Paul and Mitch. Unfortunately, we haven't got Paul here today. He is tied up with home duties. He's playing Super Dad by day and Workaholic by night. But in fear of turning into the Flat Earth podcast and doing a biannual release of our podcast, I have brought in a special guest to talk about paradoxes. He has a good following on YouTube on Sleeping Warrior channel. He is Anthony Riley. How are you, mate? All good, sir. All good. It's getting late in the evening over here in the UK right now. It's coming up to 9pm at night time, so I've I've got my uh, mandatory drink for the evening, rum and coke, and I'm sat down with my feet up, relaxed, chilled, and ready to rumble. Beautiful. Ready to destroy the globe, and it's hilarious paradoxes that it creates for itself. To be honest with you, the paradoxes, there's, there's quite a few of them that are that big that basically I don't think most ball earthers actually understand it. And when you point it out to them, and even when you explain it to them, they don't seem to be able to comprehend the fact that it's a paradox. They seem to think that there's some logical explanation and therefore it's okay for them to just, you know, oh, well, we see this real world, so it must be true and completely gloss over the problem that they've got with their model that it's, it is actually broke and it doesn't actually represent real world. And they've got no science or physics to demonstrate some of their claims. So this is obviously a show that I've been quite interested in. The Renita told me about it and I'm looking forward to running through some of the, the minutiae of detail within their model that simply does not work. Yes, there is so many. And to be honest, I'm sure that many flat earthers don't even realise that all the globe proofs that they say are proofs are paradoxes because a paradox is a self-contradictory statement. Uh, the, the best paradox that I can think of other than the globe proofs that they call it is if you were to go back in time before your grandfather has children and to kill your grandfather. That, that is a paradox right there because if you were to kill your grandfather before he had children, you would not be alive to kill your grandfather and it just keeps, it's just loops, it's a contradictory statement, it cannot happen. One thing cannot happen with the other. So uh, I, I want to... There's a better one. I beg to differ, there is a better one. Okay. The paradox of what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? No matter how much you can argue this till the cows come home, Somehow, somewhere, there's got to have been a chicken or an egg at some point, right? And I'm not intelligent enough to work it out. I just accept the reality that somehow, somebody better than us either put it there or made it. (laughs) Because you can't get something from nothing. You can't have an infinite regress fallacy either. Someone had to have put the chicken there, otherwise it wouldn't possibly have existed. Somebody at some point must have put the egg there, otherwise the egg couldn't have existed. They don't just magic themselves out from a cosmic ejaculation where they evolved from monkeys over millions of years. It's a direct violation of a paradox. You can't have it. Love it. And and that's where we're going to head. We're going to go through all the globe proofs and we're going to show everyone how these are paradoxes and I, there's there's nothing better to prove the flat earth and to disprove the globe than just using reality using your own observations and recently you've done a long distance observation of a lighthouse of what is it 31 miles away yeah 31 miles from lay on the beach without lay. probably within i don't know five four three feet from the actual water's edge 
You can argue over whether it's one foot or four foot. I'll give you five, maybe six. But they need like 700 feet because it's like that, that, that the lighthouse can't possibly be seen, but it can be seen. Hmm, wonder why that might be. It's probably because it's not what we're being told that we live on. Something else is clearly going on. And there is a clear, distinct lack of Earth curvature, the physical geometric edge that they used to call Earth curve that blocked the bottom of ships, that blocked, blocked the bottom or the, the entirety of this lighthouse on their model that made things disappear from bottom up. But what responses have you had to that observation of seeing, is it Mackle Lighthouse, 31 yeah. miles away? Yeah, it's Mackle Lighthouse, as seen from the beach at St. Bees, um, looking across to the Isle of Man in the northwest of England. Um, and the, the only thing that they can come back with is that you weren't at the height that you were at, and, and then they've got to argue within a couple of feet. Makes no odds. They need 800 feet or 700 and something feet, whatever it is. Um, and then they've got to argue that infinity refraction, infinity obviously derivative from the word infinite, and light doesn't refract the way they need it to because they need to straighten out that ball. So they just apply more and more refraction and then claim that it was an obscure event. And actually, it was just a re- reasonably clear night. And you see this all the time, but they just can't accept it. So they just do anything to dismiss it, and they basically deny it, dismiss it, deceive with it, and they just claim that light is following a perfect curve that just so happens to make it look flat all the time. It's ridiculous. So although it's clear that there, we have observations of seeing way too far, there is no measurement of, of the Earth curvature, they still claim that refraction can bring their measurement back. So this is a paradox in itself. They claim that they can measure a tangent to the horizon, to a curved surface. So a tangent being a straight line to a curved surface. And that's what they think they're doing when, they, when they're looking at the horizon. And when they say refraction, that's when the paradox is invoked because they say that they're not looking straight at the horizon. They're saying the light is bending. So now they've got a curved tangent, which is a paradox. You cannot have a curved tangent. You cannot measure to a curved surface with a curved line. But yeah. it, gets, it, it gets worse for them because not only do they not have that measurement, they don't have the R value to begin with, to make that, to to say that they've got refraction, it's a, it's it's kind of like a paradox within a paradox. Oh yeah, there's a few of them, a paradox within a paradox. We'll come to that in a minute when we have another topic to talk about, uh, famously the gas pressure one. But you're right, they've got a curved line that they claim is intersecting with the horizon, which is the leading edge of a sphere on their model. When they keep saying things like us to us, like um, show us the edge. Yeah, well, we want to see your edge because you've got, you've definitely got an edge where boats are meant to be going over, yet boats don't go over the edge. And when they do seem to go over the edge, it's nothing like what they're supposed to based on what your model predicts it should be doing. It shouldn't be at 10 miles. It should be at 1.2 miles. But they still claim that any obstruction, be it waves or incoming tide or bit of bit of um, like uh, miraging underneath the boat or whatever, any form of obstruction whatsoever is earth curve. But the problem with that is that when we're applying these straight line of sights to the horizon that would be basically an angle on a flat plane, they're putting a curved line to a curved surface, which is the leading edge of their sphere, but calling it a tangent. 
And as you correctly point out, that is a violation. You're violating the law of contradiction, non-contradiction. You can't have a curved line if you're going to call it a tangent. It has to be a straight line, but you don't have any straight lines. Your straight lines are curves, so you can't call it a tangent. You need to redefine the word tangent, guys. Oh, that's what they do. They redefine words to suit the narrative. It's complete and utter nonsense. Yeah, they have their own book of dictionaries for all the words they want to use and all the words they want to invoke. But as you just described, this creates a big problem because in order to have their refraction, which is 7 over 6 R, they need to first have R. And that was claimed, claimed to be measured by Al Biruni doing that measurement. He was measuring a tangent to a horizon and he derived an R value from it. But the problem with that is he's not actually looking at the geometric horizon. As the ballers now tell us, we don't see the geometric horizon. So he cannot measure a tangent to something that isn't there in the first place. It's an apparent horizon. It's not a geometric earth curve that he needed to derive an R value from. So without the R value, you cannot have earth curvature. And without the R value, you cannot have this refraction terrestrial refraction so it's a paradox within a paradox i completely agree it's ridiculous and if you can't see that then you're in one of those paradox positions yourself where despite evidence to contrary to your position is presented to you you find it very difficult and awkward to accept that evidence and that feeling that you get in your tummy some people call it guilt or some people call it conscience it's actually got a name it's called cognitive dissonance it's because you've not comfortable accepting the evidence contrary to your position and you find any other possible reason to re weasel away from it and wiggle and squirm rather than accepting that you've just got the definitions wrong and they can't apply because you need straight lines for a tangent and on your model when you apply curved lines it's no longer a tangent you got to get over that guys unfortunately these terms are defined and they're defined for a reason it's to stop people like you changing the definitions and confusing the children that get taught stuff at school that's not matching reality Beautiful. And talking about weasels, we've both had a bit of dealings with Simon Dan recently, and this is all to do with Coriolis and Earth spin. So I made a video about debunking the star rotation and sunsets on a globe model because they assert that we see the sunsets, sunrises, moon moving, the star rotation, all due to Earth rotation and i demonstrated with my drone that when we leave the rotating earth we still see the stars rotating now this would be impossible on a moving object because they in their claim the only reason why the celestial body is moving is because the earth is moving when you leave that frame of reference into the inertial reference frame everything that you saw rotating due to being on the rotating reference frame of the Earth is gone. Nothing should be rotating anymore. The, yep. the, sun, the sun would not be going away from you. It would not be setting. You would not see star rotation anymore. But Simon Dan decided to, instead of address the point of uh, star rotation from the ground, which we thoroughly debunked, he, he decided to go to the second law of thermodynamics violation being space and there's, there's kind of there's kind of two we'll, we'll start at the earth rotation before we we'll go to space and pressure of outer container so 
the paradox of Earth rotation is you first need a rotating Earth to assert that the stars are rotating, that anything rotates. And we can debunk that with things in in without going to the stars. We can we can just put up a hot air balloon. We can go on a flight. We can put a drone up. Those things should be apparently drifting away from us at 15 yeah. degrees per hour. Yeah, that's right. When you're on the rotating frame of reference, we're supposed to observe apparent deflection. And they claim that bullets do it because they claim that riflemen in their riflemen artillery manuals, they account for Coriolis in their table, right? Yet people that actually fire weapons, Quantum Eraser, for example, he's ex-military and he's actually fired weapons in the military. He said that you never want to count for it. You look at what you're aiming at, you try and get a steady hand, you hold your breath, you pull the trigger and you hope it hits. In no consideration whatsoever do you ever think about the direction in which the bullet's flying and make adjustments for it with your your crosshairs. You point at it, you click the button, and then you see if the thing drops um, because you've hit it. That's literally what they do, right? So you've got to see apparent drift. So it's funny because they are then argue, well, if you've got a plane flying north or south, then the Earth's rotating underneath the plane. And they claim that there's an apparent drift there, which we can't perceive because you're not able to see the whole flight duration, right? So we don't see any apparent drift. But they ignore the fact that when the plane's flying east and west, that that apparent drift would also be there. But instead of being an apparent drift that we perceive because there's a curve in its trajectory, it would it would appear apparent based on the duration of the flight time. When it goes to the west, it would be faster because the Earth's coming towards it underneath the plane than when it's going to the east because it's, it's essentially trying to catch it up. And there would be a net consistent aggregate on flight times with every east and west flight. So in other words, flying from Perth, across um, Australia to, um, I don't know, Canberra or Sydney, you're going one way, you're going to go east, the other way, you're going to go west. There's got to be an aggregate there. And it, what do you know? There is an aggregate, but it's going the opposite direction to what the Earth claim is, right? So maybe we're spinning backwards or maybe there's another explanation for it. And there is such a thing called jet streams. And that explains it both in North America and in Australia. But the point is, if the Earth's turning, they've got to show this apparent drift because they claim it's there north to south. But when you apply east to west, it doesn't apply then. They call that the Etmos effect, which I won't go into for the minute. I'll just make the point that the selective when, with when they claim it applies. And when it's definitely meant to be obvious that we should see flight times changing, that doesn't apply then. They redefine the term, um, the Coriolis effect, and call it Etmos effect, and then give some more complicated maths for it. But it doesn't change the fact that if the Earth is turning underneath the plane, East and West flights must vary consistently everywhere in a North America and in Australia, and it doesn't do it, but they still believe it anyway. So how can you believe that the thing's doing it when there's no support and evidence for it? That in itself is just ridiculous. And let's just call it a contradiction in terms or indeed a violation of the law of non-contradiction. Or what was the title of this? Um, I can't remember the word you use now. But paradox. Paradox. You can't, have, you can't hold it. You, you're violating the law of non-contradiction when you hold a position that is incorrectly true, not true, or doesn't have support and evidence for it, when there's actually evidence going the opposite way that does not support you. I mean, it's a paradox. It's a perfect example of retardedness if you think that we're on a spinning ball. And not only do we have no evidence for this Coriolis drift, Earth-based Coriolis, Simon Dan gives us an example of a tractor pulling a trampoline behind it with a with a man jumping up and down on the trampoline and he makes the point of see this this man is not drifting he's just going up and down on the trampoline 
And the, where the paradox comes in is Simon Dan is destroying. He, he even says he's destroyed our reference frames. And if we only have one reference frame being the earth, just what we experience here, we just see a drone go up, it just hovers. If we only have one reference frame, he is debunking the claim that the earth is turning. That's the paradox. We don't see any deviation. We only have one reference frame. So yeah. they are for, for them to have their Coriolis, they need the two reference frames. They need the rotating That's reference right. frame of the earth and, and the inertial reference frame. But Simon Dan is saying, no, we only have one reference frame. Correct, Dan. Welcome to flat earth. That's what our right. argument is. And the worst thing is, he doesn't even realise that when he argue, he describes this as the conservation of momentum, right? Which is a thing. But if it's conserving momentum because you've got the trajectory velocity that you add with the Earth's turn, then it means that there's no apparent drift. So you'd arguing against your own model by by asserting conservation of momentum because the Earth's got to drift underneath the plane, right? There's got to be apparent drift from the reference point that's turning, right? But the problem is, if it's not doing it and you're arguing conservation of momentum, then you're not you're arguing directly against that's our argument. Conservation of momentum means that the Earth's not turning because there's no bloody drift there. You've got to be arguing that the Earth is turning and there's where the drift is. But you can't demonstrate it. So you can't argue conservation of momentum because you're essentially arguing, well, we wouldn't expect to see any drift. But by definition, you've got to see it, you moron. It's ridiculous. They just keep digging their hole deeper and deeper because where we can go from that is when when I say I don't see any drift from my drone when it's just hovering, Simon Dan says that's because the air moves with the with the earth as as, as it spins. We wouldn't expect to see it, it drift. But this in itself, other than you <laughs> just saying that, yeah, we need to see it drift, this in itself, if, if I keep going up, if I just push the up stick on my drone, if we were on a globe, and it was rotating, when I push the up stick, the, and the drone just hovers there, it's, it's not drifting, it's not going away, for it to stay in the same lockstep with the globe, it would have to be breaking the first law of thermodynamics. This is the first law, not the second law, the first law stating that energy can neither be created or destroyed. That is in direct violation of this law because in order for the drone to stay at the same location relative to the earth and be spinning around at the same time it's got a greater circumference so it's actually spinning faster if we were on a spinning rotating globe than it then i am on the ground it's in complete violation of a law that has never ever been violated yep the whole argument for coriolis is nonsense because the, the simple fact is, if the Earth really was turning and rifles were, you know, infantrymen firing rifles in the army were accounting for it in some way, then you've got to see the planes getting aggregate flight times. And we don't see it. Well, that's not explained by conservation of momentum because the conservation of momentum is our argument. But they use it as though it's theirs but indirectly not realising that they're arguing against there being apparent deflection, which is required for the definition of Coriolis. You've got to have apparent deflection. The whole Coriolis thing is just complete. What they end up doing, because they know we can't see any apparent deflection anywhere, they end up arguing that they wouldn't expect to see it. In essence, that is the whole quintessential point of the Coriolis effect. You do see apparent deflection. They often come back with hurricanes. 
um, cyclones. Well, there's such a thing called anti-cyclones. So if anti-cyclones even exist, which they clearly do, just Google it, then the Earth can't be turning because anti-cyclones can never exist. And that just, just oh, it's just such a ridiculous... Coriolis is nonsense. It is a real thing, but it doesn't apply to Earth. Why? Because the Earth's not turning. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to use reality and observations to debunk these things. And so that leads us to the next question. So I want to give a bit of background for this because gravity is kind of your baby. You you have bring this argument so far forward that it has been smashed beyond belief for the Globers. So back Oh, it was a couple of years ago, you were you were having an argument with uh, Craig, Fight the Flat Earth, and you were using a article by George Musa, who is an astrophysicist. He's the editor for who um, American Scientific American. Uh, you were using a quote saying that Einstein has snapped the one in two for Newton's gravity, or something to that effect, um, and that led. Not many people know this. That led to Craig Fight the Flat Earth getting George Musa on his show and that led to the quote that everyone uses George Musa saying <laughs> what does he say? I want, I want well, he says sure. two he says two things he says one the first one he famously says is um, gravity is not a force but you can think of it as a force and then he says another one which Chocolate always recites back eloquently in his in his accent that he's got and he says um, oh, he says something like um uh, gravity is not really a force, um, but we don't have to work at the really is level um, or something along them lines. And, and then he says, um, we can, we do, we must think of Newtonian, Newtonian gravitation as a force. Technically, it isn't really a force, but we don't have to work at the really is level. And it's like, well, what kind of level are we working at? Are we working at the Mickey Mouse level, at the really is level? Because that's what we try and do, because we're the ones that go out with cameras. We try and work at the really is level, but George Musa, writing for Scientific American, states that you don't have to work at the really is level. Now, this, this, the background to this, as you point out, was that um, I'd cited this article that I got from Quantum Eraser, to be fair. Quantum Eraser cited this back in 2016. I picked it up, like, in, kind of, in, I don't know whether it was independent of John or because of John. I can't quite remember. But, um, however... John basically jumped on it and said, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, push it. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to push it. Fight the Flat Earth picked it up, didn't like it because he's got this, I've got this pet love towards gravity. He's got the pet love towards gravity, but Newtonian gravity. So he picked me up on it, right? And he didn't like the fact that it literally says Einsteinian gravitation snaps the wand in two. Because it snaps the wand in two means it's broken and it's been replaced, right? You can't refine it by sanding off the edge or giving it a bit of a, a spline to it or he snaps the wand in two it's written in baby language right but craig doesn't like this because craig he claims to be a physicist but he got a third in his in his degree apparently he claims it was a first but it was actually a third and basically craig doesn't like the fact that newtonian gravitation being a force is no longer the, the current uh, physics the current physics is clearly einstein he describes it as the effect of the curvature of space-time caused by the uneven distribution of mass. That tells us what gravity is, it's an effect, and it tells us what causes it, the uneven distribution of, uh, of matter or mass. Now, the uneven distribution of matter is essentially an attribute of matter in the same way that density is an attribute of uh, a medium. It's the measurement of how much stuff there is in a given space in the same way that um, the uneven distribution of mass is just a random coagulation of matter. Um, it, it's it's just an attribute, right? It's not a force, 
But this this attribute of matter, according to Einstein, warps space time, which is an effect. And that's what he puts that. That's what he says is gravity. Right. So because I define it or cite Einstein and say that it's an effect, which is the current physics, not that I agree with it, of course. But Einstein says that it's an effect. Craig did not like it. He spent a whole week dedicated to just ridicule, dismissing and just doing all the D's to me, deceive, deny, deceive, dismiss, discredit, all the D's you could think of to try and discredit me because he wanted to get George Musa back into the gravity as a force camp. But unfortunately, George Musa, when he came on Craig's show, was beautifully polite, professionally polite and told Craig that gravity was not a force. But Craig was too stupid to realize that even though he was being extremely professional and extremely polite, he was disagreeing with him. Craig couldn't see that. And to this day, he still thinks that gravity is a force, although he is kind of mellowing a little bit. He's, he's, he's acknowledging that gravity isn't actually a force. It's an entropic effect. Um, but he hasn't got that far yet. He's found a guy called um, Dr. Eric Verlinder from the University of Amsterdam that because he describes it as an entropic force, as long as it's got the word force in it, Craig's happy with that. But nonetheless, it doesn't change the fact that Verlinder isn't even the current science. It's Einstein. So because gravity is an effect, basically, you can't have an effect causing something. Otherwise, it would be a cause. And it's not. It's an effect. So you've got, because of Newton's first law of motion, an object at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an, an unbalanced force. You've now got a situation where Newton's apple falls from the tree. It's accelerating because the stalk snaps. But that acceleration in Newton's laws of motion requires a force. Well, they don't have a force to push on it or pull on it anymore because gravity is not a force. But it's because it's an effect. That means it's the acceleration alone, just the acceleration, the change in velocity that is gravity. But it's not the thing that's pushing on it or pulling on it. And that's what they need it to be. So then they've got to argue within Einstein's concept of space time bending how Newton's apple accelerates. And it's really beautiful listening to them try and do it because they can't do it. But they'll try and stumble the way through it like some kind of five year old trying to read through a complicated paragraph because they can't do it. So the beautiful paradox here is that gravity is defined by Einstein to be an effect, but they need a force and they don't have one. So they've got the paradox where they've got to create an acceleration by applying an effect as though it's a force. And you all, everybody that's done any kind of law knows what a cause and an effect is. They're, they're mutually exclusive. They're not inclusive. They're exclusive. So a, a force is required to give an object an acceleration. We see Newton's apple accelerate. So a force must be there. What force is it? Gravity. No, because gravity is an effect. So the paradox is they've got an effect. <laughs> they need a force. They don't have a force and they weasel and squirm and wriggle and they can't stand it. And Craig will not accept it. And he spits his dummy out and he stamps up and down. But it's not our problem that Einstein defined it as an effect. But it does debunk your model, boys and girls. And we'll ram that down your throat because it's an inconvenient science that you guys just don't like. Sorry about that, but it debunks your model. <laughs> and that's the paradox of gravity eloquently put so oh. <laughs> beautifully explained so i just want to make it clear we are no longer accepting newtonian gravity are we we're not even going to be talking about newtonian gravity anymore and, and why is that because i mean you've got to cast your mind back to not your grandpa grandfather it was your great grandfather that probably fought in world war one 
right? Because when you were saying before about your grandfather, if you go back and kill him, right? Let's just imagine you went back in World War One and you killed your great grandfather, and then you would no longer exist to be able to tell the story, right? That great grandfather that fought in World War One fought between 1914 to 1918. Well, hmm, gee, what world event also happened in that period of time that radically transformed physics the way they understood it back then? Oh, I know. Einstein brought out his theory of general relativity, totally debunking the heliocentric model. So how would he get away with that? There'd have to be a world event, wouldn't there? And the world event in 1915 was World War One. So, yes, there was a massive problem in 1915. Einstein redefined the physics. Nobody realized it until they came back from World War One when all the parents were dead and all whatever. And then all of a sudden, education was rewritten. And basically, people didn't realize for a long time that Einstein had redefined physics. And when you leave high school in England and then go on to further education in college, it's not until you get to undergraduate degree in physics and only physics where you learn that Einstein redefined gravity to be an effect. Until that point, Everybody that leaves school and high school and FE before they get to university or study somewhere else in university other than physics, we all believe that gravity is a bloody force. Yet it was changed in 1915, 110 years ago. Come on, people. Learn. Why are children being taught this nonsense when it's not even the current physics? Yet we're all dumb because we spot this kind of stuff and point it out. And we're morons. It is just absurd. How many times in the comments sections do we get told that gravity is mass attracting mass? There's there's a large mass of the Earth that is attracting every other mass to to that Earth, but that can just easily be debunked by dropping in a helium balloon. Like where's it go? Yeah. It doesn't go down. It, the the mass that is still mass. That gas has still mass. The balloon still has mass, and it's going up. Things yeah. don't fall down. It. I know why that is though. It's because clouds attract helium balloons. Because if the Earth attracts apples falling from trees and there's clouds above the helium balloon, it makes logical sense, doesn't it? Let's be honest, because if Earth attracts the apple and the helium balloon goes the opposite way, there must be a mass up there attracting the helium balloon on their model. But that obviously doesn't work, does it? So what they say is, well, it's actually gravity's pulling down on the air around the helium balloon and that's causing an upward thrust that we call buoyancy. Well, then the question is, what is it that makes gravity decide to pull on the, the medium around the balloon and not on the balloon i thought we i thought mass attracted mass why is gravity not pulling on the mass but it's decided to pull on the the, the thing around it and the answer of course is it's baloney it doesn't do it mass <laughs> does not attract mass but that's what they tell kids and it, i got to 36 before i started questioning this shit took me about six months to get my head around some of the basics but when the penny really dropped for me i realized that this is full of contradiction it's full of just it's just nonsense but you, if you just scratch the surface on this stuff you don't really notice it it's when you start poking a little bit and then you get a hundred trolls on you calling you a stupid moron and ringing your job trying to get you fired brian mullen and uh, george natchuk and trying to scare you into talking away moving away from the reality of the world in which we're presented isn't matched by the heliocentric model at all that's when people start getting cold feet but i realized after about six months this is full of contradictions, but most people don't realize it because they don't scratch below the surface. Well, you start poking below that surface and there's a lot of aliens out there ready to bite your fingers for poking because they don't like it. They, honestly, it's just, just ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's a thread that once pulled, it just brings down the whole curtain of the globe. And the only thing left is a flat, motionless, encapsulated plane. That's, that's what we're left with. That's what our reality is. And in reality... Yep. Once again, we can do 
observations. And in, in this instance, we can even do science. And you've made some good videos on a very simple science experiment that anyone can do at home with an egg in water. Do you want to explain how this absolutely debunks gravity? Sure. So if you get a pint glass, normal pint glass that you get from the pub, fill it with water from the sink, fill it up um, and then drop an egg in it. And the egg will go. If the egg's a good egg, it'll sink to the floor um, and it'll it'll stay at the base of the glass. You start sprinkling in, in like tablespoons or teaspoons worth of salt because salt dissolves in the medium as opposed to sand, which does not. Um, what you'll do is you'll start creating a density gradient of salt. It'll be a salt gradient within the water. And eventually, if you get the, 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 the solution correct and you get enough of the salt in there, the egg will start to rise off the floor. Now, technically, that's an acceleration because the egg was on the deck. Now it's began to move. That, that movement is defined in physics as an acceleration. So because Newton's first law states that an object at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by a force, then when you sprinkle the salt in, if you keep sprinkling it in to the point where it starts dissolving, if you use warm water, it's the best, that egg then accelerates. So therefore, there must be a force. And they obviously say it's gravity, even though Einstein redefined it as not a force, it's an effect. But obviously, you're causing that by changing the density of the medium. Now, the problem is when you pour more and more salt in, if you apply scientific method to that that concept, that process that we're doing, not concept, real world, if you apply scientific method, the independent variable, the presumed cause of an effect is the thing that the researcher manipulates intentionally to see if it causes the effect. So if you apply scientific method, the thing that I added, which was salt that starts to dissolve as it falls through, that is the cause of the egg's acceleration. But we have a problem. In science, mass is not considered to be a force. Only weight is considered to be a force, which is mass times the acceleration due to gravity. Well, we know there's no acceleration due to gravity because Einstein redefined it as an effect. So then you've got a contradiction there because the, you can't have mass causing something. So they say, well, it's not a force, only weight's a force. Weight doesn't really explain what we're seeing. But they've got another problem because if you've got mass that's causing it because you've not got gravity cause like because the acceleration due to gravity is not causing it. You're only left with mass. Now, nobody disagrees that sprinkling salt into the water is adding mass to the to the it's you know, it's soluble. It's, it's going to dissolve in the water. You're adding mass to that medium. The problem is mass is just a scalar. It lacks direction. It lacks magnitude. It's not a force. Yet mass is doing something. So you can do it yourself at home, just sprinkle salt, salt in the pint glass and the egg moves. But mass itself is not a it's not a force. It's a scalar according to current physics. So how does a scalar known as mass cause the egg to accelerate? It doesn't or not on their model, but in real world, it actually does. So they need an explanation for it. Obviously, they apply gravity and they say gravity is pulling down, not on the egg, but it's pulling down on the medium. Well, we know gravity is not a pull force. It's an effect. But even if it was a pull force, what was the deciding factor that made gravity decide to pull down on the medium rather than pull down on the mass? Because I thought mass attracted mass, not mass attracted the medium. But for some reason, gravity's had a day off on this test because it's pulling down on the medium, according to them. And that's creating an upwards thrust. Or perhaps there's another explanation. And adding the mass has changed the density of the medium and the, the medium's becoming more dense, but the egg's density is remaining the same. And because there's a disparity between the two, um, that, that equilibrium has been changed by me adding mass to it. Perhaps that change was the reason why there appears to be an acceleration. And it's because basically entropy, 
you're adding pressure below the egg because you're adding mass and the more because obviously pressure is the forces exerted against the sides of the container in the pint glass by adding more mass you're putting more matter in below the egg because it's more dense than the water maybe it's the case that by adding more mass below the egg and only below the egg you increase the pressure below and it's actually pressure that's pushing it up not a buoyant force that they call caused by gravity maybe it's the pressure caused by increasing the mass below the egg and that makes total intuitive logical sense but within scientific method it's the cause because that's the thing i i varied i put more mass below the egg but in their model mass doesn't cause acceleration but in real world you can prove that it does it's fantastic isn't it because we we asked them for scientific evidence of gravity and we're still yet to see anything anything that can follow the scientific method but you just come up with this simple experiment that absolutely follows the scientific method that we can do at home that we can observe this is real life this is real world and we can directly manipulate something to create that force and this is it's through this conversation that you and Arwen Arwen had on the flat earth debates Arwen what was his channel the flat earth early bird if anyone wants to subscribe he does a a daily show on Flat Earth it's, Early Bird. His channel's called Arwin, but his show's called Flat Earth Early Bird. But yeah, me and Arwin, initially, we were kind of arguing against each other, but actually we were on the same side, but we didn't have the vocabulary to understand what this actually was. We knew what we were trying to say. We weren't quite getting our words across to each other because let's be honest, there is no science for a flat earth, right? All the science is geared around being a ball earth and being the center of gravity and center of mass and all that. So all the language is written that way. So how do you explain something that doesn't actually exist to somebody that probably agrees with you, but you haven't got the vocab to get your point across? So me and Arwin were disagreeing over what this was and how it was. In the end, we realized that we were saying the same thing, but the vocabulary did not exist. So we've got to reinvent something. You've got to explain this. Essentially, what it is, is pressure going to non-pressure. So you increase the pressure below the egg. That pushes the egg up because you put more pressure there. And that is what we're literally seeing. And when you explain it like that, you've got to be an absolute imbecile to think that there's anything else going on. But then that kind of leads us to the next pressure against non-pressure arguments. So we've got this, this, this problem where we look out to the night sky and we see stars. They tell us the stars exist in a vacuum of space, 10 to the minus 17 tall. Not quite a negative pressure, but it's very, very close to virtually nothing. Yeah, but we're breathing 14.7 PSI of gas pressure, right? And all you've got to do is go to Google, type in what is the cause of gas pressure, and you'll find that it's the collisions of the molecules against the walls of its container. But if the Earth's an isolated, an isolated ball within a, a vacuum of space, there's no container for the, for the, for the molecules to hit. Because once the Earth, all directions are away from the container, being Earth, are uh, space. So what is it that puts the brakes on to bring these molecules back? Because remember, Newton's, Newton's first law of motion, the second part, says that an object in motion will remain in motion unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Well, now you've got all the molecules that are in the Earth and bouncing off into space in all directions, but there's nothing putting the brakes on because gravity is not a force. So what's going on? We can explain this within like an enclosed environment. Um, the sun causes like the gases to be excited and then when the sun's not there anymore because it disappears to australia for the day because you guys are getting daytime that excitement of the gases is lost they lose kinetic kinetic energy they condense they get colder they fall back to earth because they're more dense than the environment they're in and it creates the summit called the the biogeochemical cycle caused by the sun which is only possible in a contained environment yet you've still got ball earthers that think that, gra that gravity pulls down on the atmosphere 
and they say it's not gas pressure, it's atmospheric pressure. So they redefine what gas pressure does. And then when you look at what the definition for atmospheric pressure is, it says that it's the weight of the atmosphere pushing down on you. Well, weight's one of those terms in physics that's defined. It's mass times the acceleration due to gravity. Well, we know we've got no acceleration due to gravity. We've already run over that. So then we've got, we're left with mass. But you can't have mass unless it's contained. You try getting a helium balloon or a tyre with pressure in it when there's no tyre or helium balloon to give you the pressure. You can't do it. So the only other way that mass can have, um, like, um, uh, like you know, the only other way you can have mass contained is if they've got intermolecular bonding, which is the difference between solids and liquids because they have got intermolecular bonding, but gases b break that bonding to become gases. So they don't have any, any intermolecular bonding because the gases. They're able to move in all directions indiscriminately or at high velocity. So there's no like no no ability for them to create a, a mass, a collective mass. So the atmosphere can't be pushing down on you because it isn't a collective mass. It's in it's 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 not connected. It's not it's not a coagulated or a big blob. It's it's not connected. They're not these molecules are not connected to each other. There's no in, there's no intermolecular bonding. So not only have they not got gas pressure, um, not only have they not got acceleration due to gravity, they don't satisfy the definition of mass unless it's either contained within a balloon or a tire or a, 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 a deodorant tin or any other container, or it's got intermolecular bondings. But if it did have, it would be a solid or a liquid and, it, and it's gas. So they can't satisfy that. So again, they're in a contradiction. They've got a direct violation. They're, they're in, what's the word you used before? Paradox. Pa yeah, they're in a direct paradox again because they need both mass and acceleration due to gravity. They've not got either, but they still teach this to kids in school. It's completely, it's contradictory. It's completely contradictory. I love this paradox because the housekeeping question that you guys ask is, is show, show us gas pressure without a container. Is it possible to have gas, gas pressure without a container? And if you answer that question with anything other than no, you are describing a paradox because in order to have the gas pressure, in order to have gas, it needs to be contained. If anyone thinks they are showing us gas pressure, that is not contained, that is the paradox because you you have to have the antecedent of the container in order to have the gas. There is no container in existence that does not have gas in it and there is no gas in existence that does not have a containment that is not contained. That is the paradox in space. Space is fake. That's where we can take this argument to. If the Earth where an open system, like they say, next to the vacuum, the infinite vacuum of space, the gas that we breathe, the air that we breathe, reality would piss off into the vacuum of space, as Nathan Oakley would put it. If, if we would not be here, we wouldn't even have water. It would evaporate almost instantly. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be breathing. We wouldn't have water. We wouldn't be existing. But they try to use that argument, go outside, breathe. See, it's being contained without containment. But that's our yeah. argument. That's that's where the that, paradox that is comes our in. Argument. And, and the other thing is, of course, when they say, well, what do you think 14.7 PSI is? PSI, moron. Yeah, that's pounds <laughs> per square inch, right? Of now, what? when you look at pounds per square inch, it's the measure of matter in a square inch. But it's not, it's not an actual physical inch. 
it's a hypothetical concept known as a square inch because you don't have a square inch of atmosphere do you you have the atmosphere and it's a, it's an infinite right multiply anything by infinity and what answer do you get but they say it's 14.7 psi moron yeah that puts um, a hypothetical construct container around a square inch of atmosphere but there's no actual container there so what they're doing is that they're basically um, denying the consequence they're denying that there's a necessary antecedent which is the container and then we've got gas to fill it and that's why we get gas pressure because it's the collisions between the walls of the container um, but the reality is not only does it need to be a container to give you the pressure the container's got to be sealed otherwise the gas will escape because you've got the infinite the infinite the infinity of space right and the pressure and we know pascal's law states that pre the pressure will equally bounce off all the all the um, surfaces in this case it's the earth in all directions evenly so you've got the pressure and let, let's not remember or let's not forget rather the, the 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 amount of salt that was required to make the egg move was tiny right but you and that was a, a tiny differential and it made the egg accelerate but in the atmosphere relative to the vacuum of space we've got 14.7 psi that's dying to get into that vacuum and it's the biggest differential of pressure it would be explosive it would be immediate without any delay whatsoever and you wouldn't be able to stop it it would immediately do it that the gas pressure would be gone within a fraction of a couple of like a second or the whole atmosphere would go why because pressure goes to non-pressure that's what entropy is that's why the egg moved pressure pushed the egg to non-pressure right so the atmosphere at 14.7 psi compared to nothing that differential is essentially a tire blowing up at 15 psi and immediately filling in that filling that infinite vacuum of space in other words from our perspective we could not breathe that's the key point. Now, we are breathing. We have got gas pressure and we know that it's caused by a container of some kind. Does it mean there's a dome? No. Does it mean that there's containment of some kind? Absolutely. Because if there wasn't, it would immediately evacuate, fill the available volume and we would no longer have the any ability whatsoever to breathe. Yet, because we can go outside and breathe, they just think that it's an open system. No, because there's no physics. They can't demonstrate it. They can only calculate it. And that calculation is a substitution for experiment. And we know because Max Planck said that um, experiment is our only means of knowledge at our disposal. Everything else is just poetry. Because everything else is just poetry, they're accepting poetry instead of science. There is no science for gas pressure without a container. It always, always, always needs a container. And if the container's not sealed at the top or at the bottom or at the sides or whatever, and there's a hole in it, we all know what happens. We get punctures in our tires all the time, and obviously the gas escapes. So not only is it contained, it's got to be sealed in some way, and it might be caused by a dome. It probably isn't. It's probably caused by the sun, but we know it has to be contained. Um, my own personal view is the sun basically causes all the solids to become liquids that then burn off, create pressure, and then remove the sun. Everything starts to condense. It gets colder. Ice starts to form, and then everything becomes solid again. But when the sun's there, it stops the gases from freezing. It stops the gases from liquefying. And we can see the evidence of that in a phase diagram. But we're the science deniers, yet they've got no experiment that demonstrates it. Again, they're violating the law of non-contradiction. You can't have it. It's ridiculous. There's just there's so many things that we are pulling them up on that they keep like this. Just asking that question, show us gas pressure with our container. We're setting them up and it's hilarious to watch them come back and try and answer this question. Some of the things that have come back in every example, they're using a container. So Blue Marble Science, he brings 
a, a bottle, a can, a container of butane, and he puts it into a large pipe, another container, and he says, I can still measure this. This isn't a container. It's still being contained, and we're having a yeah. good laugh at him. And, yeah, and yeah. Some, some other ones are taking it even further and saying that, uh, what, who is it, Thunderfoot? He's, he's describing gas <laughs> as solid, bouncy balls yeah. in a fish yeah, tank. He's just, yeah, he's using ga- uh, gas molecules represented by solid matter. Well, solid matters are always going to displace the medium they're in, and he's demonstrating relative density, right? But what he's telling people is that, that that's the behavior of gas. No, there's no downward direction with gas. It disperses equally in all directions according to Pascal's law, evenly, right? Indiscriminately, evenly, and instantly, right? Because gas molecules are moving at like 600 meters per second. They're really, really fast. Now, Blue Marble Science brought out this pipe that went up the side of his house. It was like quarter-inch pipe or whatever, long and thin, right up the side of his house. And his video was entitled, and I quote, gas pressure without a container. And he's got a big bloody pipe up the side of his house. Now, when we obviously laughed at him and pointed this out, he claims that he meant that it wasn't a sealed container, but he's not. He's just trying to deliberately cause confusion. But he's currently making a Cavendish experiment, right? He's trying to replicate the Cavendish experiment. And to be fair, the guy's got a cracking workshop. He's got lathes. He's got you know, all the tools that, like, carpentry programs have. And he's, he's the kind of guy that's like, I, I love a man cave like that. But the problem is... He's trying to do. He's trying to recite uh, the Cavendish experiment, which is obviously mass attracting mass. Which we know that mass doesn't attract mass because Einstein redefined it as the the effect of the curvature of space time. But if we apply the title of his video from his gas pressure without a container, we're gonna have to. He's gonna have to call his his Cavendish experiment replication. He's gonna have to call it mass attracting mass without a force because if he thinks that you can have gas pressure without a container, he's also gonna have to equally argue that mass attracts mass without a force because gravity's not a force the guys are complete and utter moron but he thinks that we're the morons there's no science for his argument it was replaced in 1915 when einstein re reinvented or redefined gravitation to be an effect yet for some reason he's still spending an awful lot of time money and effort trying to create a cavendish experiment for what science that doesn't exist anymore the guy's an utter moron science that never existed in the first place it sounds like he has all the tools to do this quote unquote experiment which is an experiment but it seems like he doesn't have the one thing that he needs which is science that's what we're asking for we're asking for science of gravity we're asking for any proof of uh, gas pressure with our container we're asking for any proof of earth curvature we're asking for any proof of the earth turning any movement at all and all we come up with all they are describing are paradoxes and that's why i wanted to title this show and talk about paradoxes because we're just setting you up ballers every time you try and answer these questions you are describing a paradox sometimes we don't know you're describing a paradox sometimes you don't know that you're describing a paradox but after hearing this conversation between me and anthony we need to think, is this a paradox they're describing? Because other than begging the question, that's exactly what they're doing. They don't have any science. They don't have any observation. They only have a fairy tale that exists in their own reality that cannot be demonstrated, cannot be proven. Just open your eyes, see what's around you. That's that's all we use. We use reality. Was there anything else, any other paradoxes yeah, yeah. that you want to go into? 
Yeah, yeah. I just want to read an extract from the actual the actual paper that Henry Cavendish submitted to the Royal Society when he did his so-called test. Now, bear in mind, the title of the Cavendish experiment is this, quote, Experiments to Determine the Density of the Earth by Henry Cavendish Esquire. Now, he's not even demonstrating mass attracting mass, right? He's trying to determine the density of the Earth. Well, aside from the fact that that's a what is question, it's not a cause and effect uh, relationship. But nonetheless, he's, that's what his claim, his paper is actually entitled. It's got nothing to do with mass attracting mass. Ballers like to cite it anyway. I'm just going to read two paragraphs from his actual paper. You'll find this at the bottom of page two in his article. It's um, page 470 if you find the original extract from the Royal Society. And it reads, <clears throat> now bear in mind that Einstein said it's not a force, it's an effect. Back in the day from uh, Henry Cavendish's paper, um, 21st of June, 1798, subsequently superseded by Einstein to say that it's an effect, not a force or a cause. This is what he says, quote, and this is verbatim. It says, as the force <coughs> effect, as the force with which the balls are attracted by these weights is excessively minute, not more than one fifty millionth of their weight, it is plain that a very minute disturbing force will be sufficient to destroy the success of the experiment. And from the following experiments, it will appear that the disturbing force, hang on, most difficult to guard against is that arising from the variations of heat and cold. For if one side of the case is warmer than the other side and the air in contact with it will be rarefied and in consequence will ascend, whilst that on the other side will descend and produce a current which will draw the arm sensibly aside. I was convinced of the necessity of guarding against this source of error. I resolved to place in the apparatus I resolved to place the apparatus in a room which should remain constantly shut and to observe the motion of the arm from without without by means of a telescope and to suspend the laden weights in such a manner that I could move them without entering the room. This difference in the manner of observing rendered it necessary to make some alterations in Mr. Mitchell's apparatus, and there were some parts of it I, I thought not so convenient as could be wished. I chose to make the greatest part of it afresh. What he's basically saying is that he tried to make the room a sealed room that did not have any currents in it. But the problem is every room's got currents in it because every room's got moving air because gas pressure is always moving at high velocity in all directions indiscriminately. Any kind of disturbing force, as he freely admits, is enough to destroy the success of the experiment. He's basically telling you that the currents in the room are probably going to be causing the movement because he can't control them. He's got no way of stopping the movement of air in the room. Yet everybody thinks that mass attracts mass. They just ignore that paragraph. <laughs> they just pick out the bits that they want. This is one of their proofs, isn't it? The Cavendish experiment. And that's what their science is. This is this is what their science is. To begin with, they don't have science. They're not manipulating anything. But he says himself, I'm going to put it in a... Essentially, he wants to create an isolated system, something that does not exist. But yeah. he's going to have to <laughs> try and create a closed system, which he thinks, I'll just go and do it outside. I'll just do it in my shed. That's, that's what he did. He put it inside. Yeah. And that's what their science is. That's that's where their laboratory is. That's where mass attracting mass has claimed to be proved. One fifty millionth of, of, of something in a shed. That's their science. Now, obviously, this is like the end of the 1798 or whatever it was. Um, obviously, like this is like um, because it's before Einstein. Obviously, Einstein hadn't come out at this time. 
the problem they've got is that because Einstein superseded this completely in 1915, they still want to harp on about this. But the problem they've got is even Newton himself did not want any force um, of gravitation ascribed to him. Um, he literally wrote in his letters to Bentley, and I'll read because I have this one on 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 um, what do you call it? Um, uh, speed dial, if I can find it. Uh, yeah, this is a great extract and. Newton is is given gravity. That's that's where gravity came from. He kind of invented gravity, and in his equation, he is a. He never even had. He never even had g. That was no, in afterwards by G, um, from the yeah, gravity g, experiment and from C. Yeah, Fg equals m1 times m2 over r squared. Right, that g didn't exist in his in his original maths. There was um, no it was g. put in after he died by a guy called C. V. Boyce who worked alongside Cavendish. And in, in before Newton died in his letters to Bentley, this is what he wrote. He said, um, he said, it is inconceivable that inanimate brute matter should, without the mediation of something else which is not material, operate upon and affect other matter without mutual contact, as it must be, because that's a force, if gravitation in the sense of Epicurus be essential and inherent in it. And this is one reason why I desired that you would not ascribe innate gravity to me not ascribe innate gravity to that's what cv boys actually did he ascribed innate gravity to cavendish uh, to uh, newton and he expressly said don't do it 100 years after he died or 100 years after he put um, he, he brought out his principia and um, that's exactly what cv boys and cavendish actually did they ascribed innate gravity to newton right he said that gravity should be innate inherent and essential to matter so that one body may act upon another at a distance through a vacuum without the mediation of anything else by and through which the action and force may be conveyed from one to another is to me so great an absurdity that I believe no man who has in philosophical matters a competent faculty of thinking can ever fall into it. Gravity must be caused by an agent he's basically describing god here guys so think about god in your mind he says gravity must be caused by an agent acting constantly according to certain laws but whether this agent be material or immaterial i have left open to the consideration of my readers those were newton's exact words before he died yet cv boys and cavendish ascribed innate gravitation to him after he died where he couldn't refute it basically that's called a cunt's trick right because that's what they do when, when the guy dies, they ascribe things to him that he literally proved and dis, or disproved in his life because somebody got an idea that, that sparked something in their head. And that's exactly what happened to him. So they ascribed innate gravitation to, to Newton when he expressly said, don't do it. And then obviously Einstein totally changed it all in 1915. But we're in another contradiction because he said, do not ascribe innate, uh, innate gravity, gravitation to me. And Einstein replaced it in 1915. Yet, for some reason, they do it anyway, and they teach children in school that mass attracts mass, and it bloody doesn't. It's completely... Why would you get taught in school that hot was cold, or fast was slow, or that black was white, when it's not? It's the opposite. It's completely ridiculous. But nobody seems to give a shit. Nobody seems to worry about this. It's ridiculous. You have a disappointed, Anthony. This is why I want to bring up gravity. Take note, ballers. Stop ascribing innate gravity to Newton. He said it himself. It is what ridiculous. It is absurd. Stop it, stop ascribing it to him. He was merely trying to describe something that he he witnessed. But in doing so, he was just spitballing. There was no science behind it. He didn't have any proof. 
but it has been put onto Newton that he has come up with not only gravity, he's come up with a formula. Now, in his Principia in 16, whenever it was, the original publication did not have G in it. It was not an equal sign. It was a proportional sign, wasn't it? So it was the the, the force. I tell you, it was a really good citation for that. If you look up a guy called Julius Sumner Miller on um, on YouTube, you can hear him talking about gravity, and he and he quotes. He does it like in his own way, but he 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 puts this accent on because he lived in Australia at the time, but he's an American. And he and he's, Julius Sumner Miller said, um, and Cavendish himself said that. Um, what did he say? He says, and Cavendish himself said, I feign no hypothesis for gravitation. I mean, it's not exact, but the point he's making is that even even Newton himself in the Principia literally said, I feign no hypothesis for gravitation. In other words, he wasn't trying to predict what was causing it, yet everyone seems to ascribe it to him. It's ridiculous. So after 115 years coming up, 115, 110, whatever it is, over a century, can we please stop ascribing gravity to Newton? Mass attract mass does not attract mass. That can be easily debunked by letting go of a helium balloon. And in the beginning, in the first place, it was not described by Newton. So the only thing left we go on, your official narrative ballers is is um, Einstein, what Einstein says, which is the the effect which is gravity caused by the uneven distribution of mass. And this yeah. is a conceptual medium. So this is what we're going to pin you down on, Bors. Yeah, yeah. It's like the effect of the curvature of space-time. Well, then you need... You see, when you have terms that are defined in physics, like weight, mass, um, gravity, when you have something called space-time, again, that needs a de- it's a defined term. We know what it is. And it's defined as a conceptual medium that exists in mathematics. Well, how, does, how is it that mathematics is being bent by the uneven distribution of mass? It's just, oh, it's just, it's just it's, ridiculous. But it's a reification. Yeah. A reification. How, how are we doing for time? Look, I think we'll leave it there. I think we've pummeled the globe enough. We've, we've set up enough paradoxes that hopefully anyone who hears these things being described can just put it back on the ballers, saying this is a paradox. You cannot have one thing without another. You cannot describe something that contradicts itself. You cannot have gas pressure without a container. You cannot have gravity. You cannot have the curvature of a globe. You can't have a globe in the first place. You can't have R. And you cannot have a moving Earth that we're living on, supposedly. All we need is reality. And all they have is paradoxes and imagination. Is there any closing statements from you, Anthony? (laughs) Just last one. How did they know that the Earth's got a molten iron core when the deepest hole that anybody's ever dug was the Kola super deep borehole in Minsk, northern Russia, that only went down was it eight to eleven eight miles eleven kilometers, and beyond that they couldn't get any deeper. They don't know what goes beyond that. They can calculate it, they can predict it, they can use seismology to predict it, they can basically do anything they want, but they don't know because they couldn't get any lower than that, right? But they tell us that we've got a molten iron core, but they can't prove it. That in itself is just called nonsense, right? But they'll tell you it's true because they'll show you diagrams in school, boys and girls. Don't make it true though. P waves and S waves. That's all you need to say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your time here on Dome Life, Anthony Riley. You can check him out. You can check him out on YouTube at Sleeping Warrior. 
thank you for your time filling in here for Paul. He will be, he's sorely missed this week, but hopefully next week we will be back and we will be destroying the globe once again. Thank you, Anthony. No problem, sir. Have a great day. And I'm just taking a little hiatus from uh, Flat Earth at the minute whilst our, our country is being destroyed by Boris Johnson. But I'll be back into Flat, Flat Earth soon, I'm sure, once Boris Johnson's been removed from, from his office because it's not going to be far. It's not going to be far away. <laughs> Good luck on your endeavours, mate. Woo! <laughs> Don't forget, you can listen to Dome Life on your smart speaker. Just say, hey, Alexa. Hello. Play Dome Life podcast. Hey friends, Joe Garcia with Question Everything Conferences. And when I want the most up-to-date information on the latest research, trends and proofs, and interviews with the most interesting and captivating guests, I tune into the Dome Life Podcast with my friends, Paul and Mitch. And remember to question everything. Yo, I cannot believe that I got a commercial spot on the number one weekly Flat Earth podcast in the world, my buddy Paul on the Plane. Hey guys, this is Matt Long from Woke Town. And if you want some other awesome Flat Earth content, be sure to check out Woke Town on all major podcast platforms as well as Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Woke Town. Hi, this is Rob Skiba, and you're listening to Dome Life with Paul and Mitch. Hi, everybody. Bob from Globebusters here, and you're listening to the number one Flat Earth podcast out there, Dome Life with Paul and Mitch. Don't forget, you can listen to Dome Life on your smart speaker. Just say, hey, Alexa. Hello. Play Dome Life podcast. Okay, guys, welcome back one last time to Dome Life with Paul and Mitch. Hope you enjoyed that conversation between Mitchell and Sleeping Warrior. Hope you took notes. If you didn't, you have to go back and listen to it again because there's a lot in there. So um, let's see. That was our final commercial break, I guess, here in season two. And like I said, kind of serve as our series finale, at least for now. All right. Uh, here's what I wanted to get into. Some of you listening may not be aware, especially if you just discovered this podcast here in 2020, haven't gone back to catch uh, season one yet, which eventually decided to start this podcast back in the fall of uh, 2018. I reached out to Mitchell and asked him if he'd like to be a weekly segment on my new podcast called Dome Life with Paul on the Plane. Of course, he agreed. I mean, who wouldn't? Opportunity of a lifetime, right? The segment was called Down Ova with Mitch, and it was only about 10 minutes or so a week that we would chat, 10, 15 minutes. So what I'd like to do right now is to play for you guys just the first few minutes of our very first conversation here on the podcast that Mitchell and I had. And this was, I believe the date was October 18th, 2018. Yeah. It was episode number one. Give it a listen. All right, everyone. This is our first uh, time checking in with Mitchell from Australia. Uh, we're going to call this segment, as I mentioned, uh, Down Over with Mitchell. Uh, Down Over with Mitch shall I say. Mitchell, how you doing, man? Welcome to Dome Live with Paul on the Plane. Hey, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a bit different for me, treating train me as an equal. Like, I'm usually that, that creepy fan just calling in from Australia to kind of stalk David Weiss, but it's nice to be on the other end. 
You know, you mentioned something there. We're going to have to give the backstory for people that may, which I doubt there's going to be many that maybe have not heard of you. You are the infamous Mitchell from Australia, from the Flat Earth Podcast with David Weiss and uh, Curious Jay and now Matt Long. But um, for those folks that maybe don't have that history, maybe we should kind of recap that just a bit. I mean, when did you start listening to the Flat Earth Podcast? I mean, uh, have you been a long-time listener? No, not really. Like I've I've just kind of been been through all the platforms and and heard all the all the big guys talking, and I just came across someone mentioned Flat Earth Podcasts, and and I looked them up and started listening to a few of their shows, and and noticed you can um you can leave a speak pipe, which is yeah just about a, a one minute long message, and I and I just thought oh why not I'll leave a few of them like um and it's, it was it was in between a couple of shows that they were doing they they hadn't put out a show for about a month and. I thought I might just give them a bit of a hurry up and left about seven speak pipes and <laughs> history went on from then. Yeah, that's what you get for uh, just being a regular guy and ribbing them a little bit, having some fun, right? And uh, not enough of that these days, if you ask me. So, yeah, so you started leaving some speak pipes uh, and uh, that quickly evolved into Curious Jay and now Matt Long giving David a hard time about the fact that you are potentially a stalker. What do you think of those claims? Yeah, look, some, it's it's for some people. Obviously, a lot of a lot of big people that have a lot of fans don't really like it. But obviously, in David's case, he, he likes the creepy kind. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going with it, and 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 I'm happy where I am. And Mitch, that's how we all got started. Uh, a little while later, yeah, I, you know, I asked if you'd like to join me for the entire show every week. You just enjoyed our chat so much, and so we became Dome Life with. Paul and Mitch. So, a trip down memory lane there, Mitch. What do you think? Uh, my origin story <laughs> takes me back to the days of just being just a a creepy fan of David Weiss. <laughs> 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 uh, thanks. Thanks yeah, for I have bringing to say, that back my, up. My first impression of you was. <clears throat> questionable you know who is this who is this guy and in fact little known you know i guess piece of dumb life trivia here you and i didn't really didn't chat you know electronically until you hit me up on telegram in fact and uh, in fact i didn't even see it right away because i'm not on tell i wasn't i wasn't on telegram very much at that time and i think i i logged in it'd been maybe even a couple of weeks or something since you had left me a message and uh and i was like oh hey you know and obviously i knew who you were because I'd listen to the Flat Earth podcast, but that's originally how you and I, you know, I guess our paths crossed. I did, yeah. You were doing your TFR show of Noxie weekly, and I just said, "Love your show, doing good work." And you just like, "You want to come on?" <laughs> I couldn't resist yeah. pulling the plane. Who Thinking about starting a podcast. Uh, I'd like to be a, you know, part of that every week. And uh, yeah, opportunity of a lifetime. Look where you are now, and you can owe it. Look you owe I it am. all to Dome Life. Yeah. I can't <laughs> owe it to a show. I have to owe it to you, Paul. <laughs> oh man, don't pass up on opportunities, everyone. You regret them because this opportunity has been fantastic. Two years on, how many episodes? Eighty-three. This Smashing is number yeah, number eighty-three. So maybe one Smashing day we'll hit a hundred. We'll hit the century mark someday. 
I remember you were predicting we were going to hit 100 early next year if all was on track. When we were actually doing weekly, when we were pushing out the bonus episodes, we were doing weekly. Yeah, it would have been probably early 2021. You know, yeah, we'd probably be there right now. So, um, but a lot, a lot has happened and, you know, priorities change and things change. 2020 changed a lot for so many people in so many ways. Uh, woke a lot of people up. A lot of priorities, I think, were reorganized and I'm, and I'm a classic example of that. It uh, changed a lot in my perspective. Uh, And I look back at the decisions I've made. I don't have any regrets. I just, uh, I think God's just got me moving in a different direction now. So um, we'll talk a little bit about it at the end of the show. What I'd like to do now though is uh, Mitch, uh, I've prepared some closing remarks. So let me get to those. And it really is a parting shot. Kind of reminds me of the night when I hosted my last uh, Globalize show on Truth Frequency Radio almost a year ago now. My parting shot that night surprised a lot of people. This one, I imagine, will do the same. Email me if you want to hear that rebroadcast from Globalize Radio sometime. Anyway, in closing, I'd like to issue a warning. I don't know who is listening to this right now that needs to hear this, but let me just say as a brother in Christ, as a Christian, as a fellow believer of yours, this is a warning. I'll start by saying this. Most of you listening to this broadcast, I believe, will admit now that our world was created and did not evolve over billions and billions of years from a cosmic fart. Countless times, it seems, it's been explained to me by many of you that before Flat Earth, you were an atheist, or at best, an agnostic. But the revelation of the true nature and shape of our world has led you to the very true and real conclusion that this place, our home, was in fact created. Now, the creator of this extended, motionless, enclosed plane of our existence has a very specific way he wants to be worshipped. This right there is a very key point to my closing remarks here, and one I hope that resonates with you. You see, I'm less than 30 days away now from finishing my 2020 New Year's resolution of reading through the Bible in one year. I started January 1st, and I'm currently in the books of Daniel in the Old Testament and First John in the New Testament, because you, you read both simultaneously. It's become very clear to me, having had my nose in my Bible pretty much every day for the last 11 plus months, that there is a common overriding theme throughout the thousands of pages of Holy Scripture. God loves us unconditionally, but he also is a very jealous God and has very specific instructions on how we are to love him and how we are to behave. The pages of the Bible clearly demonstrate how he wants us to worship him, how to show him love, which is obedience, and what to do, and most importantly, maybe, what not to do. To try and cut you know, to the chase here and not drone on too long, this is all very relevant, especially this time of year. That's right, I'm talking about the quote-unquote holiday season that we now find ourselves in. And specifically what I'm talking about here is Christmas. I submit to you here and now that participating in Christmas traditions, really of any sort, angers 
our creator. And trust me on this, we don't want to make him angry or any angrier than he already is. My evidence is the 66 books of the Bible and the 40 authors who wrote it, over 1,500 years of writings on three continents and three different languages, and every verse and every chapter and every page is perfectly synchronized without contradiction. It's truly a supernatural book, but I digress. I want to remind you all of a well-known story in the Old Testament. It's called The Golden Calf. Moses, after leading the nation of Israel out of exile in Egypt, had gone up to Mount Sinai for a little one-on-one time with God, and he was gone for a very long time. The people began to complain and grew impatient, waiting for Moses to come down with news. The nation of Israel decided to take all their gold and melt it down and fashion it into a statue of a cow, a baby cow. Now, the key point of the story is not that the nation of Israel fashioned themselves a new god or a different god to worship or appeal to or sing praises to. No, with all their good intentions, they made themselves the golden calf as a monument to the one true God that they already knew and revered, the one who had made their exile um, from uh, who had made their exile from bondage in Egypt possible, the one who had performed great miracles to deliver them from decades of slavery. This point seemingly has been forgotten by many, for the nation of Israel's hearts were in the right place. They simply made themselves a physical statue to bow down to and worship, and in their hearts were praising the name of Yahweh or Jehovah, the one true God, the creator of everything. Well, needless to say, God became very angry. He had provided very clear instructions on how his people were to worship him, regardless of their intentions. God's reaction was swift and severe. You'll need to jump into the book of Exodus chapter 32 to see what happened. You see, this is an illustration for all of God's people for all time. The Old Testament's factual events uh, documented uh, meticulously and passed down generation to generation over thousands of years was so that throughout Earth's history, God's people would have a clear demonstration of how God works, what he wants, and how we are to behave as his children, as his creation. God did not accept the golden calf, not because it was an idol created so that people could worship another god. No, he did not accept it because it was not how he wanted to be worshipped. And that is such an important point. We are told that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, so where does Christmas fit into all of this, you ask? Well, this may come as a surprise to many, but let me be perfectly clear here. Jesus was not born on December 25th. Christmas is not Jesus' birthday. In fact, most biblical scholars agree that Jesus was most likely born sometime in the fall in the the northern hemisphere, Mitch, probably in the September-October time frame during the time of the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of Tabernacles. So my first point really is that Jesus is not the reason for the season. The fact remains that we aren't 100% certain when Jesus was actually born, but we do know that it was not around the winter solstice Because the Bible tells us the shepherds were in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night when Jesus was born. Well, in the middle of the winter, around the longest and coldest night of the year, the shepherds were not out in their fields at night with their sheep. But but you say, well, December 25th, uh, that's the day that, you know, 
is the day that I celebrate Jesus' birthday. And we could celebrate Jesus's, uh, or celebrate Jesus every day, can't we? Well, for sure, we definitely can and should. However, the question that should emerge in your mind is, why was December 25th chosen as Jesus' birthday? Well, the answer is because in the 4th century, the Roman Church, in an attempt to Christianize the world, decided to adopt December 25th as Jesus' birthday, because that was the day that all the pagans, non-believers, non-Christians, celebrated the birthdays of their gods. That's right. Nimrod, Tammuz, Osiris, Horus, Apollo, that name uh, ring a bell to anyone? All the names that the sun god went by that was worshipped by the various cultures of the time. You see, in the northern hemisphere, the sun is getting further and further away until the time of the winter solstice, and it's getting darker and darker. But then the sun starts to come back. It's rebirth. It's reborn. So that celestial event every year became to be recognized as the birthday of the sun god. You know, how we are warned to worship the creator, not the creation, right? So the Roman Empire, which was in control in much of the world in the 4th century, threw the Christian's god, Jesus, into the mix. The pagans were already partying hard, getting drunk, having orgies, and had many of these traditions already in place, like decorating a tree in their house, and the mistletoe, giving gifts to each other, Santa Claus-like figures who would know if you were naughty or nice, etc., etc. Okay, so what, you might say? Well, Nimrod and Tammuz are actually mentioned by name in the Bible. Did you know that? Nimrod, in fact, was the sworn enemy of God, our creator. He led the building of the Tower of Babel in an attempt to reach heaven to dethrone God. Tammuz, as legend tells us, was Nimrod's son, who was Nimrod reincarnated after Nimrod's death. The story gets super weird from there, and if you do your research, you'll find out where the holiday of Easter comes from. And that whole story in itself could fill up a whole other podcast. You ever wonder where the Easter bunny and Easter bags come from? You'll want to vomit once you find out the truth. But I digress again. The traditions of the pagan people in worshiping their sun god, whatever name they went by in the different cultures, were already in existence long before Jesus ever walked on the plain. Nimrod was deified more than a thousand years before Jesus was even born. So the general populations developed their traditions for sun god worship long before Jesus was born in a manger. Many prophets in the Old Testament wrote about these sun god traditions and warned God's people about participating in them. Jeremiah, in fact, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote about how someone goes out into the forest, cuts down a tree, brings it inside the house, and decorates it along with a warning to not worship the one true God and to not do it like the heathen or the pagan does, their gods. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. Now, my initial reaction to this truth was to respond probably like many of you are right now. Well, Christmas is all about Jesus for me. I don't worship a sun god or any other god. God knows my heart. That's what you're thinking right now, aren't you? I know because I was there too. And that's how I was last year and the year before. That's why I wanted to remind you of the story of the golden calf. How did God react to his people worshiping him their way? He knew their hearts. He knew that they were worshiping him, but he didn't want to be worshiped that way. And if you worship in the wrong way, as the story tells us, as well as countless others in the Bible, doing it our way instead of God's way ends up pretty bad. 
every single time. I'll close my final remarks with this. Imagine, if you will, if you were to divorce your spouse and remarry. Now, let's say your ex-spouse's birthday was on December 25th, and your new spouse's birthday was on some other day, let's say June 1st, for argument's sake. So in your first year of your second marriage, December rolls around, and you go up to your new spouse, and you say, Honey, would it be okay if we celebrate your birthday on December 25th? I know your birthday's June 1st, but you see, I have this tradition of celebrating the birthday of the one I love and adore on December 25th. I mean, I've just always done it that way. And you know that I love you, right? And I'm with you now. You know, my ex means nothing to me. So you could see this is just my tradition. You know that I love you. You know where my heart is. You can see that my intentions are good, right? So back to my warning. No, Christmas traditions are not harmless fun. They are of pagan origin and are from age-old traditions of worshiping false gods. Your participation in the observance of Christmas and its traditions makes the one true creator very angry. No, you should not, in my opinion, and in an opinion held by the writers of the Bible, and most importantly, the opinion of the one true God, participate in anything relating to Christmas. In fact, those traditions are paying homage to sworn enemies of our Creator. So if you call yourself a Christian and a follower of Jesus, that is, I know I am not speaking to everyone here, and maybe you aren't a Christian, but there is someone listening right now that really needed to hear this. And now that you know, you have a burden. It's like hearing about Flat Earth for the first time. Are you going to just write that off? It's just some crazy conspiracy theorist? Or are you going to do your own research? I suggest for those of you who claim to be Christians and followers of the one true God who created the flat earth to drop to your knees and pray, God, I don't know the whole truth, but I do know that I want to please you. I want to worship only you. Lead me into all truth. If Christmas makes you angry, then I want to stop participating. Do your research, pray, If you sincerely want to please God, and I would submit to you that if you don't have a desire to please God, to to walk in obedience, to serve Him, then I I would say you're not born again. If you sincerely want to please Him, the wonderful creator of this flat, motionless, enclosed plane of His existence, then you won't stop here, but you'll get after the research and determine for yourself what you should do next. Prayerfully, please prayerfully consider doing what I'm doing this year. Because when December 25th rolls around here in a few weeks, I'll be treating that day like any other. And thank you for listening. All right. If you have feedback on the show, have a story to share, got a question for us, you just want to say, hey, you can still reach out to Mitchell or I via email, Mitchell from Australia at gmail.com or Paul at paulintheplane.com. Those will still work. And you can still find all of our past episodes over at domelifepodcast.com. We're also on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, and Spotify. Uh, Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm extremely grateful, to say the least. Uh, just just so thankful for the many hours that we've been able to chat and get to know each other. It's been one amazing ride uh, and I don't regret one bit of it. We had some 
amazing guests. We covered so much of what was going on in the Flat Earth community for, for over two years. And maybe, just maybe one day, good Lord willing, you and I will get to actually meet in person. I'm afraid it's going to take uh, either one or both of us getting a jab. So in all honesty, I, I have my doubts because you and I would choose every alternative probably before letting the government of our world, the governments of our world inject us with some sort of poison. But if for some reason we're able to meet up, be warned, Mitch, I'm going to give you the biggest bro hug you have ever experienced. Oh, I'm a hugger too. So you're <laughs> in I hope that's not the criteria. I hope that's not the criteria for us meeting to get a jab. That, but it might be the catalyst for us making a new podcast if that ever does come in. So mm-hmm. it could be bittersweet. I like that. I like that idea. I have, I, have a, I have a feeling that might be the case. All right, guys. Well, um, what's next? Uh, Mitch, why, why don't you kind of you know, just maybe just take a minute. What's going on with you? What's, what, what's your focus going forward here? Um, and then I'll kind of share what, I, what, what I'm doing now. Uh, for the immediate future, family life, just trying to flood the world with little flat earthers. <laughs> Um, homeschooling and some people are flat smacking you're flat something to increase the population of flat earthers (laughs) (laughs) i want to get back to my youtube channel i haven't made any videos for a while um obviously i've been a bit busy but that's where you can catch me from now on on my youtube channel mitchell from australia on youtube for as long as youtube will allow me to be on there um that's what i'm going to be doing family, YouTube. What are you going to be doing, Paul? Well, uh, in case you, in case uh, our listeners don't know, and, and you and I talked about this in some of our uh, previous episodes leading up to, to this, is that um, uh, my focus has changed to, to kind of the financial world and most specifically in the kind of the cryptocurrency world. Uh, I believe there's a huge opportunity there for people to, to uh, get in on some of these projects that I mean, the bottom line is cryptocurrencies, whether people want to admit it or not, they're coming. Uh, the governments of the world are, are creating their own. Um, you will be involved in crypto in you know, some way, somehow, some, you know, some uh, form or another. The question is, are you going to be in the government version, uh, which they're going to control and the price manipulations and all of the problems that we truthers have with the world banks and price manipulation and control? Are you going to be involved in that or are you going to you're going to be in the a decentralized version? that you can control. Um, So that's where uh, my focus, I've teamed up with Robbie Davidson, uh, many of you know from the Celebrate Truth channel, uh, and Patricia Steer, uh, Flat Earth and Other Hot Potatoes. Uh, The three of us have uh, been involved in a project called Axion. I know that, uh, Mitchell, you're involved in that project as an investor as well. We have uh, many um, prominent, I would say, Flat Earthers that are involved in that project, whether they've come out and said it or not. Um, I won't name names now, but you've definitely heard of them. And I won't tell you what they rhyme like because you would guess them right away. Um, But uh, we have uh, started a weekly live show on YouTube. It's called Axion Today. We'll obviously include the link to that uh, in this week's show notes so you can check that out. And I would just encourage people to uh, set aside your preconceived notions about the cryptocurrency world and uh, do a little bit of research. 
reach out with questions uh, to Mitch or Mitch or I. Mitchell, you're involved in Axion as well, so uh, you can answer some some you know some basic questions about how to get started, how to you know what to look for, what have you. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of where the focus is uh, outside of my day job and family. I'm going to be spending time in that, helping people achieve some financial freedom outside of the world banking system as it transitions from fiat currency to digital currency because it's coming guys so uh you can make some moves now that can protect yourself yourself from that and uh, that's what the focus is going to be i don't know mitch you are well aware of what's going on do you have any any comments on that yeah it, the change is coming very fast some are predicting next year to be a kind of milestone for the crypto world uh, this is definitely not financial advice do your own due diligence uh, make your own decisions and only invest what you can afford to lose because it is very volatile but in the long run it is going to be uh, wealth creation that's what it's all about it's all about yeah. long-term projects here and if you want your fix of Paul on the plane weekly that's where you can find him <laughs> on YouTube that's right every week our show is uh, Mondays at 10 p.m. UTC so that ends up being 2 p.m. Pacific time here in the U.S., 5 p.m. Eastern U.S. time every Monday. I have no idea what that would be for you, Mitch. Probably, what, 9 a.m. in the morning or something like that? Um, yeah, I think it's about 9 or 10 a.m., yep. Yeah, uh, so that'd be so that'd be Tuesday mornings in Australia um, for you as far as uh, the calendar goes. But, uh, yeah, we're live every uh, every Monday uh, on YouTube, DLive, um, Twitch. Uh, Periscope, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we have all of those social media accounts so you can catch us and uh, start coming along learning. We have a section every week that's for the newbie, for the new person just getting and started and understanding some of this stuff and obviously reach out with any questions. Uh, excited for what the future holds. Excited for where um, God has me in that spot and um, just trying to be obedient. And, and, and he's dropped that in my lap and I see it as an opportunity to help others. So that's where the focus is. All right. I guess, uh, gosh, here we are, the end. To you, our listeners, uh, we say thank you. It's, you know, sincerely thank you so much for tuning in, listening to our modest little uh, show here for the last two plus years. It's been an absolute pleasure to produce this uh, little podcast every week. Hope you got something out of it along the way, at least maybe a, a Dome Life t-shirt. So, uh, Mitch, uh, any last words? Season two finale, series finale, quote unquote finale. What do you yeah. have? How do you describe a roller coaster that's only gone up? It's been an amazing ride. I want to thank you personally, Paul. Wouldn't have this opportunity to voice my opinions, my research, if I didn't have this platform. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, thank you for the listeners that make this possible as well. We probably wouldn't be doing it as much if we didn't have such a great fan base. That's right. And any anyone involved with anything, all the kind words are much appreciated. And we will be back in the future. We will be back in some form or another. So uh, don't forget us. We certainly won't forget about you. Thank you so much for all the uh, speak pipes, the voicemails, the, the emails, the instant messages, uh, the well wishes. Just you know, encourage us every week. Uh, your prayers, we can feel them, and we sincerely appreciate it. So. Until we get to speak again, open your heart, open your mind, continue to question everything, and of course, always and forever, keep it flat. We love it. Always.
always be flat smacking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the number one weekly Flat Earth podcast on the plane. Looking for more information or have a message for Paul and Mitch? Leave them a speak pipe at domelifepodcast.com, where you can also find all our previous episodes and much, much more. And while you're at it, stop by and say hi in the community forum at paulontheplane.com. We'll be looking for you. Dome Life is a Paul on the Plane production.